0: All right, well, um, I am uh, so happy and delighted to be here. Uh, this is home for me. Uh, like George said earlier, um, I served here for a while, and it's been a wonderful privilege to meet and know Pastor George Kersh and, uh, and everyone in this church. It's, it's just a blessing. And it's amazing to see new more faces, and this shows that God is at work, and uh, and the spirit is moving, amen? amen. Well, today I would not go into details about me Joel has already said that So I'm going to go right into the subject matter For today So I will be talking on Christian roots in Africa Perspectives on genuine Christian practice In the African American community Now In the 16th century, Martin Luther and other notable reformers like John Calvin rose up against the Roman Catholic Church, leading to the establishment of the Protestant movement across Europe and eventually to the rest of the world. Now, many Protestant adherents believed that since... Salvation was by grace alone through faith and not of our own works. God does not need the efforts of anyone to save the unreached people. And so no effort whatsoever was made to reach the lost. But in the wake of the 18th century, uh, this thinking began to change. Now, this was mainly thanks to the thoughts and efforts of William Carey. Now, William Carey was a British missionary who made epoch-making decisions and steps that changed missions for good. And so he published one of the greatest missionary treatises in English, which is entitled An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to use means of for the conversion of the heathens. Now, Currie challenged the Christians of his day with the famous quote, Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And the result was significant. As many Protestant denominations started sending out missionaries to different parts of the world, Including Africa. Now, today, the legacy of the missionaries in Africa can be seen in the fact that about 24% of Christians in the world today live in sub Saharan Africa. And according to the Pew Research, uh, it is believed that over 75% of blacks in America today identify themselves. As Protestant. Now when the Europeans went to Africa in their numbers, they claimed uh, to do so under the premise of going to convert the locals to Christianity. Now while some stayed true to this goal, many missionaries however aided in the colonization of Africa by working with European colonialists. Now and in most cases, um, conversion in Africa looked more like European capitalism and the conversion and plunder of African resources. Now, As Africans became enlightened, their eyes were opened to the exploitative realities of the Western missionaries. And so by the end of the 20th century, many African scholars and thinkers started speaking against Western missionary presence in Africa. A notable figure who was very vocal about African um, Western missionary presence in Africa was Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu is known for making this statement. He said, when the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. When we opened them, we had the Bible and they had the land. Another notable African religious thinker who is known to be vocal about the missionary presence in Africa is a Kenyan religious scholar called Ngugi Thiongo. Ngugi once said that Western missions were part of the imperialist project in Africa. So the missionaries were made to hold the Bible in the left hand and the gun in the right hand. The white man wanted us to be drunk with religion while he, in the meantime, was mapping and grabbing our land and starting factories and businesses on our sweat. Another good example in this light is Chinua Achebe from Nigeria. Chinua Achebe once said, the white man, the white religion, the soldiers, the new roads, they are all part Of the same thing now in the african-american community these same thoughts resonate mostly through the hip-hop culture now hip-hop artists have been very instrumental in communicating that christianity is the white man's religion or that it is the religion of slave masters and so being african or black means not being christian now over the years Different hip hop artists have communicated different ideas against the white Christianity. For instance, some artists like Ice Cube, in his album *Death Certificate*, endorses the Nation of Islam as a more black religion suitable for the African people or for the African American people. Another hip hop artist like Lu in his album. Um, Gaining one's definition, he advocated that um, African-Americans may define themselves by choosing bits and pieces from different religions, from Christianity, from Islam, from Buddhism, whatever it is, just pick out whatever is good for you. Don't, don't, Don't be stuck with Christianity alone. Another good example to note here is Nas. Nas, in his album, Present, he outrightly rejected Religion and said it was exploitative and it has no place in the African American community. Now, but is Christianity really a white man's religion or the religion of slave masters, as our notable hip hop artists seem to be saying? Did Christianity in Africa originate from the efforts of Western missionaries? It seems to me that the outburst against Christianity today as a white man's religion is as a result of ignorance as well as the misunderstanding of the actual history of the Christian roots in Africa. And so a proper understanding of the roots of Christianity, especially with its its effects on the African people, the black man, will shed an illuminating light on who we are and how we must think and see Christianity. Now, against the backdrop of the negative influence of hip-hop culture and the bashing thoughts of some notable African scholars against Christianity, it is important for genuine Christians in the African-American community to understand the actual roots of Christianity, which is embedded in the history of African Christianity. This, I believe, will help reconcile our genuine faith with the reality of colonialism and the Eurocentric scenes of the past. Now, the white man did not introduce Christianity in Africa. To the contrary, Africans rather helped to introduce Christianity to the West. Africans were exposed to the God of the Bible at least as early as the time of Joseph. Now, as the Israelites sojourned in Egypt, they worshipped Yahweh such that by the time they eventually left Egypt, the Egyptians recognized the God of the Bible as a God greater than every other God. Now about 1,500 years later, we learn that in a beat to protect uh, Jesus from the wrath of Herod, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Egypt, that's recorded in Matthew Chapter 3, verse 13. Again, the people of Africa were exposed to the God of the Bible in the person of Christ himself, even though they did not know it. Now, about 30 years later, when the the weak and battered Christ walked towards his execution, it was an African man named Simon of Cyrene, that's in Libya. Cyrene is in Libya. This is the person who helped carry Jesus' cross as recorded in Mark chapter 15 verse 21. Now the Apostle Mark mentioned that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now the inclusion of their names in the account suggests that the two were of some significance or some significant standing in the early Christian community. Otherwise, and Mark would have not mentioned their names in the account. So this is another sign to show um, uh, uh, an instance where there is a meaningful African involvement in the very, at the very beginning of the Christian journey. Now, another good example is on the day of Pentecost. It is believed that of the 3,000 men and women who were converted that day, Some of these converts came from Egypt, from Libya, and from Ethiopia. And it is believed that these people took the gospel back to Africa. Thus, the gospel after Pentecost officially made its way to Africa, not in the 17th century when Western missionaries went to Africa, but in the first century when these converts took the gospel back to Africa. Now, In the Gospel of Acts, we learn that there were several Africans who played key roles in the spread of the Gospel beyond Jerusalem. One of such examples would be Apollos, who was a a, a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. And Apollos was from Alexandria. Another good example is Lucius, who was from Cyrene. And Cyrene is in Libya. We see that in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. So we see again the presence of Africans a meaningful role in the Christian journey right from its very beginning. Another good example to cite here is the is, the, is the case of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, we believe that um, Philip helped him understand, uh, the Bible actually says that Philip helped him to understand the, the words of the prophet Isaiah. And when he, got, he went, when he got the word, he said, I want to be converted. And the Bible teaches us that he was converted, he was baptized, and he joyfully took this message, this gospel message, back to Ethiopia. So you see, an indigenous African took the gospel back to Africa. Now, now, just as the gospel moved into Africa from Jerusalem, it eventually moved from Africa to the west. Over the next several hundred years, Africa saw the rise of great theologians, and thinkers, such as men like St. Augustine of Hippo, which is in present-day Algeria, men like um, Athanasius of Alexandria, present-day Egypt, men like um, um, Origin of Alexandria, and Tertullian of Carthage, which is present-day Tunisia. So these men had a tremendous impact on the core doctrines of the Christian church, such as the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, and so many other doctrines. Now, their impact was so widespread, so much so that the Western missionaries who came to Africa about 2,000 years later brought with them an understanding of Christianity that was heavily shaped and influenced by Africans without even knowing it. So when they came back to Africa with the gospel, the reformed, evangelical gospel, they thought they were introducing it to Africa, but they brought back to Africa what Africa brought to the West. So it is important to note again here, especially as it um, relates to the African-American community, that the the Christianity that the slave masters introduced to, to their slaves in the 17th century and the 19th century was heavily shaped and influenced by Africans. In the persons of these great theologians, who existed in the first few centuries of the Christian religion or the Christian faith. Now, even though even though some hip hop artists will agree that Christianity did not originate from white Americans, however, they still um, uh, brandish Christianity as a white man's religion because it was, however, still introduced by the white man. A good example here is, is Raskas. He, he, in his, one of his raps, he said that the white Romans established Christianity. Now, he believed that Christianity came from this white Roman culture. That, so, is that true? Most of these hip-hop artists that sing so well and communicate this idea against the about the whiteness of Christianity, is that really true? Such as Raskas' message to the African community. Don't believe in that because it was introduced by the white Romans. Did the white Romans introduce Christianity? As Raskas claims, but well, certainly not. Now, the doctrine, the, the Christian doctrines were formally codified They were formally codified by church councils. If we were to ask uh, the question, who codified Christianity? It is these councils that came together. One of these, one of such councils is the Council of Nicaea. Now, these councils were attended by bishops from all over the then Christianized world. It was not just from a group of white people from a certain region. It was attended by bishops from the east and from the west. Now, in the case of Nicaea, those who attended this council that led to the formation of the Christian doctrines, it was attended by theologians or bishops from the west, including African bishops, and bishops from the, from, rather, from the east, including African bishops and bishops from the west. And the predominant bishops were actually the bishops from the east, so we had a less representation from the West in the Council of Nicaea. Now, so, so you see here that there was an African presence at the time when the very core values of the Christian faith was, was formed. So whenever a black dude in his song or in his thoughts raises up his voice and says, um, Christianity is a white man's religion, they are not only expressing their ignorance, but ironically, they are crediting the white man with undue credits. And the more you call Christianity a white man's religion, you are taking something that was by no means white and make it white. The more we keep saying it in the African community that it's a white man religion, it is white because we said it is white. But in its roots... In its nature, it was not white. And so this prevailing thought about the whiteness of Christianity in our African-American community is fundamentally based on the fact that we do not understand the Christian roots, especially as it involves the black man. So the question then is, if what I'm saying is true, How should you, or how should we, as an African-American or as a faithful Christian, how can you reconcile your faith with with the realities of colonialism and the Eurocentric scenes of the past? Keeping in mind all what happened. Keeping in mind the white exploitative impact on the black people, whether in Africa and in Europe. How do we reconcile that? Well, I have one fundamental response to you. Avoid the danger of genetic fallacy. Avoid the danger of genetic fallacy. By its lexical definition, genetic fallacy, also known as fallacy of origins or fallacy of virtue. First of all, fallacy is a fault in reasoning for some of you who understand logic and philosophy. So, uh, genetic fallacy is a fallacy of irrelevance where a conclusion is suggested based solely on someone else's, or, or, or based on someone's or something's history, its origin or its source, rather than on its current meaning or context. So, whenever we make a decision on, whether something is true or false, based only on its origin or based on its source, based on where it's coming from, we are guilty of the fallacy or of, of genetic fallacy. Here's an example. Peter, <coughs> excuse me, now Peter believes that one plus one is three because his math teacher told him so. Now, this math teacher is an authority on matters of, of mathematics. But just because the source of that answer is from an authority, uh, from, from a reliable source, does not mean it is right. Likewise, Paul doubts whether one plus one is two, because a junior student told him so. Well, just because this answer is coming from a not-so-credible source does not in itself make it wrong. So in order for you to leave out your faith meaningfully as a Christian, whether white or whether African American, avoid the danger of committing genetic fallacy. Do not base your convictions on the source of Christianity but on the content and the message of Christianity. This leads me to a few recommendations as I conclude. So as you put this into perspective, the first recommendation I have for you here is, even though I have shown in this presentation that Christianity is not a white man's religion, let the facts about the Christian roots in Africa not be the basis for your endorsement of Christianity. Don't say, okay, yeah, because now I know that Christianity did not begin with a white man, so I can believe it now. Let the basis for your endorsing Christianity not be on whether it is linked to Africans or black or white. But you would, because if you do so, then you will still have to somehow deal with the facts of colonialism, an exploitation which is embedded in our in our church history so rise up above that history and in order for you to live your genuine faith do this simply endorse or simply endeavor to evaluate each truth claims based on its own merits and not based on its origin do not base your christian convictions on the origin of christianity as you should on the message of Christianity. What makes your faith genuine is not how well it is opposed to white people or how well it is in agreement with black people and black history. It is simply how true it is to scripture. So what makes your faith genuine and true and actual and factual is not how, how opposed it is to the white people, for those of you who are white, for are black, or how opposed it is to the black people, for those of you who are white. It is how true it is to scripture. So avoid the danger of genetic fallacy and base your Christian praxis absolutely on scripture alone. Sola Scriptura is a Latin phrase that is often used in the Reformed evangelical circles to encourage a Bible-centered, God-honoring Christian practice among Christians. Rise up from that history that is, that is intertwined with, 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 with hate and pain and, and, and all of those baggage. Just rise up from all of that and base your Christian practice absolutely on Scripture alone. We learn from David. David said, how can a man keep his way pure? As an African American, as a white person, your major concern is, how can I keep my way pure? It's not how can I be black or how can I be white? No, how can I keep my way pure in a way that God will look at me and say, well done thou good and faithful servant. How can I keep my way pure? And in response, he said, by keeping it in accordance with the word of God. So hip-hop culture tells you, in order for you to have your life straight, get off Christianity. That's how you get your life straight. But the Bible teaches you that in order for you to have your way pure before God, you should keep it in accordance with the word of God. And David heeded to that advice that he gave himself, and he said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. So what drives you? What drives you as, a, as an African-American living in Baltimore? What drives you as a white person living in Baltimore? Is it the history or the facts? of Christianity, which is embedded in Scripture. What we teach in the evangelical circles is sola scriptura, Scripture alone. When we, we, when, we are, when we all fight towards adhering to the teachings of Scripture, we will be reconciled. Because as the Bible teaches, if we walk in the light, as Christ is of the light, we will have fellowship with one another. The blood of Christ is stronger than the Adamic blood. The Bible speaks of Christ as the brother that sticks closer than a friend. So, or a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so we must think of Scripture alone as the only way. And Scripture does not... there is no race or color in scripture. The Bible speaks of it. In the eyes of God, there is no slave or free. There is no black or white. There is no Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ. And so when you are trying to look for reasons why you should be a Christian or should practice Christianity from history, you are already committing the genetic fallacy, and you will definitely get out of the way. And even if you, for instance this, this, in this presentation, we have seen that Christianity did not actually begin with the white people. The roots of Christianity has Africans involved in it. But that's good history, that's good information. But your conviction of why you are a Christian, why you are genuine is because you because of the Word of God that is hidden in your heart. It is because you have aligned yourself absolutely. Based on scripture. That would be the way. For you to be able to reconcile your faith. With the Eurocentric sins of the past. And so I conclude here now by saying. The need for a genuine Christian praxis. In the African American community. Necessitates that one rises up. Above the various theories on Christianity's origin and racial implications thereof, and simply obey the teachings of Scripture. And all will be well with the righteous who lives by faith. So rise up above that history and align your Christian praxis absolutely on the principles of Sola Scriptura and all will be well. Thank you.